0: Welcome to Iteration, a weekly podcast about programming, development, and design. I'm John. I run a design and de- development. <laughs> I'm John. I run a design and development firm that builds apps and websites. And I'm joined as always by JP a- and a guest, which JP will introduce for us. Hey everybody, I'm JP.
1: I'm a software engineer at a company called Open Door, which I've mentioned numerous times on this podcast. I do full stack development. Today is really exciting because we have another guest on our show who uh, is also not named John, which is I think the first time we've done this. <laughs> That's the
0: first um, guest not <laughs> named John historically,
1: which is great. His name is Luis. Luis, go ahead and introduce yourself.
2: Absolutely, yeah. yeah my name is John Luis. No, I'm just I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. My name is Luis Atencio. I'm a, a software engineer for um, Citrix Systems here in uh, Florida, and I basically focus more on the cloud development side so a lot of uh back end javascript using node It's basically my focus of of you know my day to day work
0: okay awesome and then we're actually specifically having you on luis because you wrote this book Joy of JavaScript mm-hmm. and your publisher reached out and we checked out the book and it's like man this sounds super interesting so just kind of some background like what inspired you to write the book what's the context for this thing jumping into it
2: absolutely yeah so a few things uh, obviously i'm you know like like you guys and like like what you do on the podcast I, I also love reading books you know, and, and talking about them and things like that. And, and most of the JavaScript books I've read, they, they always incorporate, you know, some jQuery, some HTML, some CSS. It, it's kind of like a, a package deal, right? And, uh, with all the stuff that's happening around the TC39, the committee that basically drives JavaScript forward, all that good stuff, actually, I think that's a very good thing that we have now that we didn't have before. I'm like, it would be nice to write a book that's just plain vanilla JavaScript, no, no additional technologies, actually your package JSON is pretty much you know empty right kind of thing, and just focus basically on what the language is, and the idea is that more and more as as JavaScript becomes more and more feature rich we we will probably need to do less less of of third party libraries, and we know the headache that that can be, how overwhelming the the ecosystem is. so I'm like let's just you know forget all about that, let's just focus on the joy of the language itself and what it has to offer. And what is you know what what it has in, in store in the next years to come,
0: and that was refreshing because I feel like so much stuff I pick up it's like okay something something about JavaScript and like the first chapter is like well in React and I'm like. Okay. I understand that it's part of the ecosystem, but at the same time, like I'm wanting to go deep on JavaScript. So I, yep. that was actually super refreshing. So we, we want to get into some of the different topics in the book. But before we do that, let's just kind of give a quick recap of how we each use JavaScript in our day-to-day lives. So I'll start with me. I'm just a Rails developer. I say just a Rails developer in that you know I don't lean on JavaScript extremely heavy day-to-day. My firm does a lot of React Native work as well. Um, I'm not the primary developer on that, but I do play and uh, get stuff in there. But we're doing more and more with JavaScript lately. We did a view. JS project recently, which is not directly JavaScript, obviously. And then we do a lot of just vanilla JS. That's where we tend to play on top of Rails, just straight up vanilla JS. We play with stimulus a lot, but day to day, I write a lot of vanilla JS, definitely more Ruby, HTML, CSS than I do JS, but I definitely use it day to day, depending on which project I'm in. So that's what it looks like for me, mostly on the web, a little bit of React Native here and there. What about you, JP? Yeah, cool. So
1: I, uh, at my job, I focus on a very specific flavor of JavaScript, which would be TypeScript. TypeScript and the framework we use to build our mobile app is React Native. On the front end, we have a lot of React. So so typically, my my day to day of, of JavaScript is basically those like three specific flavors, I guess you could say. In my personal projects, I tend to reach for React more often than not. In fact, I haven't really reached for anything other than that. That being said, on Greenfield projects, every now and then i'll just I'll write a little bit of vanilla JavaScript when I don't want to go through the rigmarole of of adding React to it,
0: Ugh, all the dependencies. which is
1: always kind of nice because then you could just I mean you can you can do everything with with JavaScript uh, like vanilla JavaScript these days, which mm-hmm. is, is really fun. but that's me in a nutshell. Luis, uh, you gave us a little bit of a, a peek into uh, of what you do with like node and cloud cloud mm-hmm. technology, so tell us a little bit about that.
2: yeah, so we we have a combination of everything here at work. Uh, we do have the uh, sort of the old. Legacy monolithic, uh, you know, apps that 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 are both you know front end, back end, all running in the same VM kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so in those projects, uh, those have some legacy technology. So I dial into a little bit of uh, Angular JS, which is oh my, it's like mind blowing, like paradigm shift completely. <laughs> completely. <laughs> and a little bit of Java there, but most of the time I'm I'm in sort of building microservices around Node, and uh, that that was one of the things here. And as soon as I joined the engineering team at Citrix, I realized that we were we were preferring these, you know, sort of heavier languages, these these strongly typed, statically typed languages for almost everything we did. And and we wanted to move to microservices architecture. You no, know, that was, that was, that's the thing now, right? And so I'm like, well, why what, what don't we consider sort of a lighter weight, low blueprint, you know, or small blueprint, right, uh, languages like, well, JavaScript, right, in that case. So. You know, I had to do this convincing argument, you know, to convince sort of the team and the engineering team and the architects as to all the benefits that that it has and why it makes sense. And finally, we were able to get that. And so that's my focus is basically more on the Node.js side and, you know, building uh, back-end microservices. And then we do have some some cloud front-end Angular TypeScript apps that I dabble in and then some React as well. And we also have a team that does React Native, but I'm not that familiar with that ecosystem.
1: Cool. I have two follow up questions to that, which I think I don't want to get too off topic, but I think they're, I think they're actually pretty relevant. So the first question is, how is it developing uh, microservices in Node? Because we, we, we are trying to migrate at Open Door to uh, microservices in Go. And I feel like every time I hear the word microservice, it's often coupled with, with Go. So that's my first question. My second question is: Do you see a world where, as JavaScript developers, we're not leaning really heavily into these frameworks like Angular and React, especially on the front end?
0: God, I hope so.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's 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 funny what's happening now, right? So it, it was it was that thing that pattern of uh, every six months we would see something new, or you know, some, sometimes even even shorter than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and lately, it's been kind of balancing out in in these big, you know, Vue, React, Angular. Right? It's, it's kind of been in those three. And basically, you know the, the 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 fact that we have these big companies behind those projects, right, drives a lot of that. I think I do. You know, I, I see a world where we're gonna we're we're always gonna have libraries and frameworks because mm-hmm. you know one one of the one of the um, the the mistakes I think uh, to to put it that way that we're making is we, we can't just keep adding everything to JavaScript, right? We have to also value. I mean, there's a lot of value in keeping the the, the core, the kernel, sort of minimal, right, and having things become libraries to that. Actually, there's there's a you know if you if you listen to a lot of what Douglas Crockford says, you know he's he's sort of a proponent of that minimal JavaScript and everything else should be a library, right? That minimal core. And so we yeah. we we'll always have libraries, we we'll always has, have frameworks, but it's just uh, centering around these these ideas that React and Angular are putting together, and they, they just stick to those, right? You want to do sort of the more object oriented, you know, opinionated sort of MVC style, you go with Angular. You want a more sort of free, sort of plain vanilla JavaScript driven, you know, JSX, you, you go React, right? And, and we have those two big contenders now. And I, I hope it kind of just levels there and it balances out there that we don't get, you know, the more that the next JS and, and, and mm-hmm. the more libraries that keep coming up. And it's just overwhelming, right? As JavaScript becomes more feature rich, we will see libraries that tend to, you know, use those, uh, those parts of the language. But also at the same time, we have to be mindful to, to not sort of bloat the language itself because we don't want a, we don't want JavaScript books to become like these, you know, these huge Bibles, right? You want to, you want to use JavaScript, <laughs> you have to read this entire, you know, 1,000 page level. We we don't want that. We want to keep mm-hmm. something that's minimal, that works, that's that's consistent, right? So I, I do see a world where we we won't have you know new frameworks coming up every every week, right? And and thank God, I mean, like like John was saying, oh my God, uh, I hope we get there, and, and I think we are getting there. Uh, but at the same time, I think JavaScript is picking up enough momentum to where these libraries will tend to use these uh, basic features from the language and just stick to that and, and, and you know, mm-hmm. don't, you know, digress and go in different directions all the time of, of, of how, how you're supposed to do things.
0: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I think that really introduces one of the first things I want to talk about is really what you're talking about, which is this idea of JavaScript, its flexibility and power Mm -hmm. in 2019. And you have this quote in your book that I really love, which is, quote, the strength of JavaScript is that you can do anything. The weakness is that you will, unquote. And for me, like, that's a good encapsulation of the struggle I have with JavaScript when I jump into a JavaScript heavy project, especially coming from the world of Rails that is incredibly opinionated, puts you in a very tiny constrained box of like, this is how you do it. There's like very well-established conventions. And I get into this wild west of JavaScript. And sometimes, like on side projects, it's incredibly fun. But when I have deadlines and I'm trying to ship things and I'm just worrying about NPM dependencies, it can feel like it's holding me back sometimes. But at the same time, I completely understand the ability. And it's incredible for even just as a technology landscape to be able to really learn a single language well, if you learn JavaScript, you really can ship things on the front end, the back end, and even all the way to mobile, which is amazing from a technology standpoint. But I I wanted to kind of ping JP and Luis on this and and see what you guys think. You know, how do you feel about the power and flexibility of JavaScript in our day and age? And like, what are the pros and cons in that? How do you kind of bring those two things together?
1: Yeah, I really like the first part of the book. You mentioned like you can do immutable state management, which... Which like Redux tricked all of us, JavaScript developers into mm-hmm. into the, that paradigm, <laughs> which is kind of cool. I'm also a little bit of functional programming there too, and then you could also you know um, model your data with object oriented you mm-hmm. know techniques, which is also really cool. And then you end up with this like app that uses a, a mix mash of both of both things, which I think Correct. is which is which is actually I think is a good thing. But I certainly do think that it can be confusing for people who are coming from. Languages that are, um, you know, that use like classical inheritance, for example, and then you have to like differentiate sort of between the nuances between that and like prototypal inheritance. I guess it doesn't like matter too much unless you like really r- run into some nuanced problems. Um, but I, th- I think right. overall, but like, let's say you're coming from the functional side. Which I think just having that mix mash of things can be confusing, and I think it's because sort of in this programming world, we we tend to do this thing where like you have to pick a side. Like I'm a functional programmer, or like <laughs> I'm I'm an OO programmer. Oh my god, yes. Um,
2: yeah.
1: But then, like, I think once you sort of let go of that idea that you have to be one or the other, you can do this really cool thing where you pick the best of of each of those things, right? Because like you don't have to. You don't have to use inheritance with object-oriented language, right? Just because you have like classes doesn't mean you have to have to have have this like um monolithic hierarchy of classes that all inherit from like this one thing, right? Like you could you right. can compose things really flexibly. And I think that overall the way the 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 way that JavaScript has evolved over the years and the and where we've landed now is really good. And I think that this book actually is like kind of eye-opening to people who who are still stuck in this, like I have to choose one side kind of a thing, which is great. Mm -hmm. I don't know where I was going with that, but overall I think, I I, I think it's interesting. I'd like, I'd love to know your thoughts on, um, on sort of this like mix mash that I keep talking about and how, like, and how that might shape a project.
0: So like the tension between object based and functional in a way, is that part of the tension? Right, Uh, right, right.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, that, that orthogonality that exists between OO and FP, a-, a lot of people see it as completely opposite. And mm-hmm. that's, that's that's the first misconception, right? Mm-hmm. Is that they're not, you know, 180 degrees. They're more of like sort of orthogonal 90 degrees, right? Where you can start to use features from one and the other and have this line in between that kind of cuts through and sort of meshes both. And we've seen examples of that with things like Rx and, 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 and Redux, which is basically, you know, you use your object-oriented JavaScript just like as you wor- normally do, but it's very FP influenced in the sense that, you know, reducers are immutable and then they're composable, right? And that's, that's really the power. That's, to me, that's where the flexibility is. And we get these very tiny, very JavaScript plain vanilla frameworks like Redux, and you just build entire apps on, on top of that. And, and these things are, I mean, the Redux core is like two kilobytes, right? It, it's mm-hmm. very a very minimal thing. It's, it kind of just promotes the whole idea of composition. And then it goes, all right, here you go. I take care of this for you you know go ahead and write your code in a way that's testable reducers are basically functions that you can just test and that that's it that's really it right these we use we use higher order functions and that's what we do our app based on right um so the 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 book kind of highlights the, the idea that i think the the, the flexibility that j- the javascript gives you is this this idea that you can you can pretty much uh, reincarnate or or emulate any paradigm that you feel is appropriate for the task at hand right and so a lot of people, you know, uh, JavaScript is an object oriented language and that will always be the case. That, that will never change. And it's, oh, oh, in the sense that it, it promotes that message passing, right? We don't have, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, oh, oh, you don't have classes and, and, or, you know, oh, you don't have interfaces. Well, we, you know, even though we have classes and, and we do that, but it's at the core, it's really that it's just message passing between objects. You can do FP and uh, I think JP was saying this in a previous uh, episode, that wave of FP that happened in JavaScript for maybe a couple of years. And now it's, it's it's just getting stronger, stronger, and stronger. You know, a lot of people, you know, in the field, a lot of these, you know, uh, people that are heavy on JavaScript say, well, JavaScript is a Lambda language. I think Joe, uh, Douglas Crockford was saying that not too long ago. And and when you think about JavaScript as a Lambda language, it's like, oh my God, that's, that's so eye-opening that that's how we're supposed to use it. We're supposed to use it just plain functions and just, you know, higher order functions, passing data around and things like that. But then you get obviously these these Frankenstein things where things are you know very mutable and and so you have to learn how to do you know use patterns to coerce that effect right because you want that quality of immutability and so that's that's what FP gives you and now the other wave of stream based development event dri- you know event driven development that whole sort of reactive thing that's now you know very hot right now and that that's yet another paradigm that that JavaScript gives you the ability to do and so. You know, whatever task at hand you have, if you have a lot of data flow type event driven things, use a reactive Mm -hmm. paradigm. If you have to do a very sort of, you know, high level enterprise, you know, Angular app, well, you can use your object oriented, your classes, your controllers, your right, all that stuff. If you have, you know, a more sort of unidirectional flow kind of, you know, event driven app, then Redux is is a perfect thing to use. And that's more of the FP side. And so if you stick to those paradigms, you know, if you stick with those paradigms, you won't see that Frankenstein effect. You'll see a very beautiful, uh, very beautiful language, a very simple language that, that basically just guides you towards that, towards your end
1: goal. I think that's well said. I think I know the answer to this, given the title of the book is called "The Joy of JavaScript." But I was going to ask you, like, do you do you think that this is like a good thing that the language is so powerful that you can do all of these different things with it? <laughs>
2: yeah, that, and that's exactly what that quote means. I mean, that quote means uh, when I, when I read it, I was just my mind was completely blown. Right? That, that's from I took that from uh, Reginald Wright, who is you know very widely, very well known person in the JavaScript community. And so I think I think the the issue with this is that a lot of people. And I've seen a lot of code that does this, right? They they want to use it's that fad driven development, right? They want to use every single <laughs> thing the language gives you for yeah. that one, you know, that three line function. That it would have been something really really simple. Mm-hmm. They want to use everything. They want to spread every single object, you know, <laughs> right? You know, write in three thousand symbols in it, you know, put it through a reactive, you know, subscribe to it so you can do it through Rx. It's 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 crazy, right? I've seen it where. We tend to use Angular, and we want to use observables, even though it's maybe a single event that's being sent that's being passed to them. Like, why are we doing that? I mean, that why <laughs> why do we have the need to just overcomplicate things just because we yeah. can? Right. That's unfortunately what you get with a lot of power. Right. It's it's sort of that power, you know, responsibility thing. Right. You have to be responsible with what we do, and that's that's exactly what this quote means. Is the weakness is that if you're not responsible, you will tend to do these things. Right. You know, unfortunately, in the book, I have to. I have an example that kind of uses all of these paradigms mixed together, right? And a lot of people see that, uh, well you're you're saying that we have to keep it simple yet you're using all these paradigms. Now I'm doing it for teaching purposes. It's it's kind of right. different than what I would do in a, you know, an enterprise level thing. So what we should do is basically use the right thing, you know, the right paradigm for the right job. And and so in the book there's this thing about, you know, the hybrid approach, the hybrid object oriented, use what's good about it, right? And and uh, FP to drive all the business logic and use what's good about that which means you don't mutate your objects you change them right It's like if a clock changes from 1 to 2 is it a clock that mutates or do you, are you getting different clocks right basically they're hmm. they're stateless right
0: that's the best metaphor i've heard yeah. <laughs> for that that makes a ton of sense
2: yeah yeah i mean when it, you know the when, the when the clock changes hours basically you get a new instance of a clock and that means the original was never right. touched and all the uh, bug free all the the error prone things that you would have with this was undefined. This was null, and you had to check. All those things go away when you when you just use that very simple, you know, side effect free, pure metaphor that FP gives you. Combine that with your objects and your object oriented stuff, and it, you know what what you get is is just a ama- you know it's something that is you, all the bugs that that we typically see and we had to you know we're trying to debug and see where it comes from. Just all those kind of disappear right when you have that mindset. Well, one thing that I will say though, and, and you'll see this also very heated up in the community is, you know, when JavaScript got classes, I I felt, and a lot of other people felt that, man, we're kind of losing the identity there. It's like, we have this object-oriented language. Yes, it was. we never had classes because it was prototype-driven, as JP was mentioning. And classes just kind of, it was meant to sort of smooth over the whole prototype setup, right, where people don't have to actually manually say this Mm -hmm. object is a prototype of this, and you have to kind of, you know, orchestrate and, 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 and write out the entire inheritance chain. Classes kind of smooth that out, but that what that's going to do is that the confusion about that. Well, well that's good, you know, and it's br- brought up a lot of good things. The confusion is that people are going to think that that's the direction where the language is going. Are we going to see interfaces? Are we going to see abstract classes? Are we going to see, right? Is this looking more like Java and C-sharp, right? And and the answer is no, because that, that's just fundamentally the wrong, you know, that's fundamentally what JavaScript is not, right? It, it is, is not a canonical class-based language. Is a duct-typed, you know, object literal kind of language that you can do prototypes to set up links between your objects. Behind the scenes, it's always yep. will be prototypes, we will never get a concept of this is just an interface that has no implementation. That's counter to what a prototype is a prototype is, hey, this is a base object, it's already wired up, you can just, ex- you can extend it by adding more things to it. But you'll never have an interface, you know, that, that just describes it, right? It's a prototype, it's already an object that's wired up.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think um I don't want to say React is to blame, but I think React's to blame <laughs> for the whole uh misconception of like what classes are in JavaScript. Just because like every day you write like class component extends mm-hmm. React. Yeah. And so exactly. you just like you think like, Oh, so we're doing this like we're doing this whole class thing now. And I think that definitely adds to the confusion of, of an already confusing ecosystem. <laughs>
2: yeah, no, exactly, because when you do that you're like, Well, I wanna put all these components into an array. And these components are from different classes. So let me create an interface that I can use to, you know, give them a sort a, of a shared, a, a shared base. And I can, you know, put all those components of that shared base in the array. And no, you, you cannot do that, right? You just basically shove those components in the array. JavaScript won't really, won't really care what you're doing, right? And so, yeah, it, it lends you to think that, hey, maybe I need a common interface for all these components. And, and no, that's not, that's not the train of thought, right?
0: I kind of have a question, which is all super interesting stuff. I love all the different examples of fad driven development and the idea of, you know, types versus streams versus objects. And there's all these different directions and fads. But, you know, that said, because the JavaScript landscape is so large, when you are looking down and sitting down and like, okay, I'm going to write this book focusing on JavaScript alone. How did you decide what made the cut? Like, how did you decide what to focus on? And then once you decided on those things, how did you figure out you know, what's the single source of truth? Because someone who is a casual user and engager of JavaScript, like that's not my core competency. I struggle to know like, where is the source of truth on how to do this thing? And I like, I want the David Hinnemeyer Hansen of JavaScript and like, it doesn't exist. And so I struggle. And so I I wonder how you think about that, how you made it into your book. And if you think that needs to exist for JavaScript.
2: (sighs) Yes. Uh, Yeah. Uh, That's a very good question. And And then that goes back to that, that same topic that we're talking about, the flexibility, of the power, because it's just a million ways to do one thing. Yeah. The approach I took just because I also wanted to give the readers where the, where the language was going, right. Is I took, I looked at the, uh, the feature proposals for that are, that were coming up that are basically at this point, stage three or above. And what that means is okay. basically they're guaranteed to become, you know, the language they're guaranteed to get in to land. Right. And, and so the, the fact is that all these, all these features will land and then and readers will, be reading about these things and you will have to you know interact with these things one way or another and so what i thought is okay look at all that stuff from from the top like you said right look at all these features and what we have what we already have from es6 which was you know mind blowing the the amount of things that came in with es6 (laughs) that people are still learning about and so yeah it's, it's challenging to keep up right and so look at all that stuff that that's that's landed and that will land because when i write the book i have to write it you know, for readers, they're going to be reading it basically six months from now. And that's, that's a challenge, but you know, you kind of have yeah. to do that and say, let's group these things into the right buckets, right? And so, uh, you know, a lot of these features were on the OO side. A lot of these were like flat map and map were on the FP side. And, you know, the uh, other features were on this sort of a uh, reactive side and things like that, things with proxy reflect. And, and so I kind of lumped those into different buckets. And I, and I, and I said, well, if you use these under this paradigm, then it, you know, it makes things easier because now you can take advantage of this. You know, what comes with the paradigm is basically a language, a way of doing things. It makes sense, and under that, you know, in that scope, using these features makes sense, and that's the way to do it. That this is how you would do this if you wanted to apply some, you know, uh, observables or some reactive. You use these features, right? By the way, yeah, observables yeah. also coming into JavaScript. Basically, for you know, the the, the responsibilities of RxJS would be just to extend. A native observable when it comes in, right, and so but the observable object is coming into JavaScript, which is also a lot of contention, right why, why bring that native when you can have a library just you know basically import it into your code? but that's where it's going, and so basically we we I took all those features, lumped them into the buckets and and, and gave them like a paradigm right where you can say, this is the way of thinking when you use these features, and that's how you're supposed to mm, do things, and that's what right. drove the book basically forward, right. And so I did classes and I did the O part of the beginning. I did the FP part in the middle. And if you look at where it's going, the uh, chapter eight is going to have uh, the data management side, the the, the reactive and, and Rx side of things. And then the typing system is going to come in the last chapter because we're getting a new module system as well, right? That's coming in and that's already guaranteed to be the official modular, modularity standard, right? The, the, the extension, yeah. the MJS extension, right? And that's going to fix a ton of problems. Right. We, we're not going to be able to, you know, we don't have to deal with the universal module descriptor, the AMD module descriptor, the uh, require, right? All, all these things that we have the, the common JS module descriptor. And so basically you can think that from a, uh, from a plugin development, from a library author development, their lives are going to be, be much simpler, right? You just have to write to that one module standard and that's it.
0: Can you walk me through that that's actually what I had down as a possible topic. Can mm-hmm. you give us the like high level of this new njs extension? Like why should we care about that? And then like as an end js developer, can I kind of ignore it? Cuz what you just said makes sense to me that it's really for library authors possibly, but maybe I'm wrong on that. So yeah, walk us through the mjs extension a bit. That'd be awesome. Yeah, no, it's it's
2: library authors in particular, but for uh application developers as well, right? I mean, you you will interact with you you will create your own modules within your code, right? And so the basic premise of a file is a module that continues, right? So you you have a, you know, a file basically exports an interface. And the syntax right. is very much familiar with what we're using now with React, which is, you know, through Babel, we can already start using the import, export, and all those nice features, right? Mm-hmm. And so that continues, right? So, you know, it kind of builds up on that. Or that that kind of paved the way for this, right? And the idea is that, if you compare how you uh, how you import and reuse code in the browser to how you do it in Node, it's completely night and day, right? In the Node world, you just basically you know where you have the server physically on the machine, you just say require and that does the file system load, right? It just loads the code on the right. on the file. It's very simple. On the browser, you know that there's an AJAX call. Yeah, you have to go request the module over the over the wire, bring it in, and so the asynchrony there is completely different. And so Mm -hmm. in the node world, you just say require, it's a synchronous call, you load it, you keep going. In the browser world, you know, everything has to be asynchronous. And so you need asynchronous module definitions, right? And things like require JS make that simple, right? Where you say, you know, require uh, this module, and then you basically you get a callback with the module sort of as a as a namespace, right? As an object namespace. Right. And so the idea with MJS is if I am a application developer, I don't need to worry about how to treat that module. I kind of just Use it in the exact same way. If it's in the browser, you know I request it via URL. If it's in the uh, if it's in the server, I request it via the exact same URL. And so they're, they're making Got a it. lot of limitations. As well, now you don't have directory modules. Now you have to explicitly add the extension mjs because that's what that's URL friendly. And so now you know that limitation. We have to bring it onto the server side as well, just to make things consistent. So mm-hmm. the, the the big thing about mjs is to make browser and server consistent with the way you interact with modules. So you want to do import and export at the browser level as well. And and code should be isomorphic, I guess, to both server and browser, right? That's the whole goal is to make that transparent.
0: Yeah, that's cool. So it sounds like it's a step in the right direction to bring those things in sync with each other. So development workflows are easier. Exactly. Like, there's not different paradigms across the server and the browser exactly. side. That's super yep. interesting.
2: Yeah, to get that, unfortunately, the, there'll have to be some cuts, right? Uh, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, Common JS world, you could, for example, you could request a module by folder by adding an index.js. You know the 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 module system already kind of went there by default and loaded your entire module directory, right? And we kind of lose that in the uh, in the MJS world because you have to have you can't have extensionless URLs, right? That kind of goes against the uh, you know you have to request an actual resource,
0: right? right? Right. And
2: so we you know that limitation that there's there's a little bit of sacrifice to make for the sake of consistency, but yeah, we're definitely going in the right direction in the sense that. I mean, if I'm a plugin author, if I'm a library author, I can just publish to one standard and that's it. It will work both browser and server. And I don't have to worry about that.
0: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Super cool. Well, I, I kind of had a, a different kind of a, maybe a different, a weird question here. But my question here is, out of so far what you've written, what section was a total pain in the ass? And like, oh, I don't want to write this because it's either you know too patantic or a bit like confusing or hard to dig into. And then what section was like so easy for you to write? Like you were really excited to get into it. And like between that and behind that question, really what I'm getting at is like, what's the thing in the book that is annoying but worth learning? And then what's the other the thing that's like super exciting and cool
2: yeah yeah absolutely the super exciting was the uh uh, the fp part was super exciting for me
0: yeah the functional programming stuff that stood out to me too
2: so i had already written a functional programming book before in javascript and um so for me i just kind of took took that as a the the target audience for the book is basically a a professional developer right so that that first book that i had written was you know was an introduction to functional programming and so i had to take the, Mm. the the approach of you've never seen this before you or you're you're just kind of starting your JavaScript career, and this is what you need to learn. You know, so we start from the basics. This was exciting because this book is actually for the professional, sort of the intermediate to 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 more advanced JavaScript developer. The, the person that's yeah. already in there, that's already kind of, you know, they're they're they're, they're feeling some of the pain, right? So they're, you're feeling overwhelmed. You know, it's, it's the stuff that we're feeling, right? They're, they're professional. They're in that language every day. Right.
0: But you can assume some base knowledge. So you can like really get into the specifics.
2: Exactly. And so that that FP chapter is more around, here's all the benefits that you get from just applying that mindset that, you know, to avoid all those pain points you had before, this is the mindset that you should apply uh um, right. to to get all this thing to work and and be bug free and be testable and things like that, so I just okay so the which part
0: it. was shitty but important? what part was like the part that's like, oh, I know this is like this is kind of annoying but i I want to make this point, and I think it's important we learn it
2: yes, so the the annoying part was actually that modular that modularity chapter was
0: like mm. yeah, i know
2: I know it's important, <laughs> I know it's a huge thing for JavaScript, these modules, right, but you know I'm like people already know how to deal with modules i mean you know in in, in other programming languages we You know, we know how to import, you know, if you do Python, if you do Ruby, if you do Java. So do I have to really go into this? But I'm like, it's so big though that it just, it needs to be dealt with and it needs to be, you know, we need to deal with it in a way that, that, you know, I also need to highlight sort of what the benefit is, where we're going with that. And the reason that was a pain is because when I started that chapter, JavaScript, I was using Node 10, I think, which was, I think. You know, I still had a kind of an experimental mode. And so, the, the unit test framework wasn't working with MJS. So it was all, all these Ugh. incompatibilities. You know, I had to get Babel <laughs> to compile the whole thing. It's, and so, I finally found some some third-party libraries and things like that that helped me get sort of the, the unit test. That sounds testing.
0: very JavaScript. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so,
2: because, you know, I'm kind of that in that cutting edge there where I, I need to know right. how it works myself before I can, you know, obviously yeah. explain it to somebody else. And it's like getting all that to work and what up. Oh my God, it was so annoying.
0: Yeah. Um, and like you need to be on the most cutting edge you can be. Cause like you said, the book is really, you know, when it comes out fully exactly. in six months or whatever that looks like, you need to make sure that it's there with what the trends look like. And they move so fast. They move so, so that's quickly. really interesting. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. And that's, that's especially true in the JavaScript community. I mean, it's, it, a book can become stale in a year or so. It, it, that's it. It's, it's stale completely. It's shelfware. Wow. Right?
1: Yeah. Wow. It's funny that you mentioned that because I think historically, whenever I like read about a new language or just pick up a book to like pick up the syntax of a new language or whatever, I always hate reading about the importing and exporting of modules (laughs) system. So so it's interesting that you you particularly did not enjoy writing that section.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, I thought it was important. So, you know, in in that same mindset, right? I'm like, this is annoying. I don't want to bore the reader. Just like you said, JP. Let me, let me add a twist in here. And so Mm -hmm. if you, if towards the end um, of that modular chapter, that's chapter six. So what I did was say, how can we use that hybrid approach, that functional, you know, so, Mm -hmm. so basically, I promote the idea of, of making that single responsibility idea of every function should be its own module kind of thing, right? And if these fun, if these functions are very related to each other, they're highly cohesive, then yeah, make them into the same module because they call each other or you want to export them as a single module, right? But basically, you go for that single responsibility, and 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 JavaScript gives you the ability to where you can do just a function is a single module, so like modulus data kind of paradigm, right? I mean, th- and those are very very easy to test because the fact that you're making them their own module means you have no assumptions about what's around the function, which basically means that you're you're forced to think of them in isolation. That's exactly what a unit test is, right? You're forced to pass in all the parameters that it needs. You have, you know, you're you're not sort of Course into a side effect because, oh, you know what? I already have that variable up there in that scope. Let me just use it, right? You don't have that because you're in your own module. So that kind of promotes that thought. And so the idea of, of that module chapter, it, it ends with a functional orthogonal system architecture. So you, you create these orthogonal functions that compose together. So orthogonal means they don't have any shared concerns. They, they do different things, but when you compose them, basically that logic, right? that You compose that logic together to get the job done, right? And so, um, you know, you have this, this, this composability there, and, and the fact that functions are their own units. And so that, that's the architecture that gets promoted. So you have these, these basically an army of these single module, you know, side effect free pure functions that compose together to drive your business logic. And so that made it yeah. fun at the end.
0: Very cool. So I want to kind of start to wrap things up here with this last lightning round. The name of your book is The Joy of JavaScript. is talking about like pure JavaScript and all those different things. And you walk through so many great things. But the question I want to ask and kind of do a roundtable here is, what's one thing about JavaScript that brings you joy? What sparks joy <laughs> like Marie Kondo? So let's start with you, JP. Like in your day to day, what's the one thing you really love about JavaScript? Because I feel like on our podcast specifically, Frankly, I bash JavaScript a lot, or at least like how fad-based the ecosystem is, but I w- I do love JavaScript. I want to take a moment mm-hmm. to like celebrate. What are some things that we love about JavaScript? Cool. Yeah. So, I
1: think the thing that brings me joy when I write JavaScript are are writing really s- simple functions. In fact, I love the function keyword, which is kind of weird, <laughs> but like I I tend to to not like write arrow functions if I don't have to. I don't I don't know what it is. It's just like a weird quirk to me. But like, I think writing a really simple testable function with the function keyword is is like what, what gives me joy for some reason. I don't know why.
0: I love that. I think for me, I'm with you on that, that it feels more discreet than Ruby. And for some reason, and specifically the function keyboard, like it's like, okay, it puts it in my brain. I'm gonna write something here that does something. It accepts data, it puts data out. Like it's very discreet and clear, like what the function is doing. And I love like how flexible and composable things are. Like when you're in a good project with some good modules and imports and exports, it's like, oh shit, I can reuse that from over here and reuse that from over here. And it's like, you're just passing data everywhere. And I think the other part about it to me is it feels very, I, I'm using this word, it's a bad user word, but like, it's very reactive and like coming from very server side rendered. And I work in, in Ruby a lot. And so it's like having to constantly reload the page to see if it works. But when you're on a good JavaScript project and you've got hot reloading, it's just like, she's just going and you've yeah. got like, get in a great flow. <laughs> and there's something that feels really cool. And like, like s- s- each of these smaller pieces composing together quicker and there's hot reloading and there's something about it that feels very modern when it's going well i really enjoy that part of javascript you can tell i have a lot of javascript pains
2: because <laughs> <laughs> to get hot reloading and to get all of these things to work just you know very well and there's so much tooling and that, but once you get it done it's so nice and i completely agree with that <laughs> it's so nice uh, i guess for me it's the uh, going back to complete just the basics of, of of the entire sort of purpose of the language is functions and higher order functions, right? The idea is that a function can accept other functions and return functions or create functions. I mean, that simple concept that not a a whole lot of other programming languages have, right? Like the Mm -hmm. the, the Javas and C-sharps are just kind of getting into that, right? Into that uh, mentality now with, you know, newer features, right? But they weren't designed with that. JavaScript was designed with that from the beginning. From all the things that, that went wrong with like instance of and the this keyword and things like that, all those wrong things. The one thing that it got right was that functions are objects. And that to me is the best. I mean, that that, to me, that's what brings alive all the other things that you can do with JavaScript, why it's so terse and clean and nice.
0: I love that. Very cool. Very cool. Well, it's been awesome talking with you today, Luis. I just wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of pitch your book or other books. Tell us where listeners can learn more about your book and you and Thanks so, again so much for joining us.
2: Thanks, John, JP. It was, it was a, a pleasure. It was so fun talking with you guys. So the Joy JavaScript is, is underway. I'm about to submit chapter seven now of nine total. And so it's been a ton of fun to write, especially because of the audience that is, you know, targeting that professional JavaScript developer that's, uh, you know, that's passionate about it, but also feeling the overwhelming pain that it, that it brings with everything. So, you know, just cross-cutting through that reader group. It's been a lot of fun. I've also written about Functional JavaScript. That book came out 2016, I believe, as well as an RxJS in Action book that came out in 2017 or 2018, if I'm not mistaken. You can follow me on Twitter. Uh, uh, if you have any questions, any feedback about the book, anything that you like or you, you dislike, I'm very active on, on, on Twitter. You can find me there. And um, all the books uh, are in Amazon and uh, through the Manning site as well. So If, if you're interested in, in getting any of those, that's that's where to find those. But yeah, Twitter is the best uh, way to reach me out. And if you have any feedback, please, please let, let me know. Uh, I want to make sure this book comes out and it's, it's something that's meaningful and that you know us JavaScript yeah. developers can really sort of get a hang on and, and enjoy and sort of drive this thing forward.
0: And we'll link it in the show notes for sure. But what's your handle over there on Twitter? The handle is L-U-I-J-A-R. Okay, cool. Just so we have that there. All right. Again, thanks so much for listening, everyone. Again, my name is John, and I was joined by JP. You can always learn more about the show by visiting iterationpodcast.com, and there we'll have all the different notes and books and stuff linked, so it's easier to get to it. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you guys next time. See Thank ya. you very much.
2: Bye-bye.